0: Uh, And then I'm going to hit live over here, and that's live, and that's live. Okay, so, hey, I think we're rolling. Welcome to the Toronto Beer Podcast with me, your host, Chris Schreier, 9.05 p.m. on a Monday with a guest that's a new record. I'm very proud of us. Uh, My guest tonight, and you might as well just dive right in because you're visible on the screen, is none other than the legendary, if I may say so, Dan Moore, uh, formerly of the Toronto Arrows, and more importantly of the Balmy Beach Rugby Football Club. Dan, how you doing, buddy?
1: Good, Chris. Thanks so much for having me on. Looking forward to our chat
0: this evening. Absolutely, man. An absolute pleasure we're going to drink some beers and actually the reason why i asked dan is because I've, i i'm a little confused right now because i have two different cameras facing in different directions uh because i have here it is handily located i have to do this on two takes to oh no i don't because this camera picks up the screen oh i only have to do it for one camera this is great i should do it this way all the time um this is the line out lager which is a partnership beer uh that the toronto arrows dan's uh club that he's just retired from uh do in partnership with breweries around the city uh and this one was made by indy elhas uh friend, friends of the pod um so i'm gonna drink that dan's got some i think he said fernie is that what you got over there yeah i'm uh in
1: uh, just west of calgary right now in a town called fernie so i have some fernie brewing co uh the lone wolf ipa they call this one they have a selection of all sorts of different beers but i particularly like this one so i nice. uh, thought i'd support local this evening
0: that's amazing so we're going to get into these but the reason why dan's here of course as i've now thoroughly hopefully elucidated um dan is a former player from the toronto arrows you played all their seasons right you're yeah, a, a founding uh, founding member All um, today, yeah. yeah and uh which is oh i feel terrible three seasons uh two, two two of the arrows all right uh, i couldn't go. remember he's been around for three that's what it is okay cool yeah. um so i brought dan on um partially to talk about beer because as a rugby player he's had a few beers um and also partially to talk about the arrows because uh hopefully we'll see an arrow season uh, in completion uh this year which would be fantastic for 2021 i've lost track uh, 2021
1: um yeah and chris is actually it's really cool so this uh this initiative by the arrows called the match day series you know they're partnering with a bunch of local craft beers in toronto um you know obviously sort of cool toronto arrows uh colors and logos all over it but i think some great ways to sort of support those craft brewers that have been you know great for our game in in sort of grassroots ontario rugby but um, also something that's cool that some of the proceeds from each beer sale actually go back to support uh, grassroots themselves. So Love it's kind of coming full circle, you know, as you sort of mentioned, the rugby community and the beer community, you know, go hand in hand or, or beer goes hand in hand with rugby. So it's good to see that uh, in a different initiative um, through this.
0: I assumed you were going to know that. And I was totally gonna ask you for details and really put you on the spot and then offer to be like, it's okay, I can look it up if you didn't know. But uh, among other roles, uh, Dan is a, a fantastic ambassador, not just for the arrows, but for the sport as a whole, but specifically for the arrows, which is fantastic. Um, I've got a glass, are you gonna go uh, old school or are you you gonna pour out?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I got a glass
0: I'll as look well. At you. I'll, you. I'll join you and be fancy here. All right, so we'll uh, do a little <laughs> Foley. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you, I drank 80% of my beer straight out of the can um, and it really gets the beer geeks going, but I'm lazy. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to be fancy with your pour if you don't want to. Also, I frequently accidentally end up pouring some on my crotch. So if you're gonna be fancy, be aware. <laughs> okay, here, I'll go first and then, uh, and then you can, I mean, take it away, but if you want a little guidance, I'm, uh, I'm not unaccustomed to doing what we would call a guided tasting. So, uh, mine, interestingly enough, it's a little bit on the hazy side, uh, for a lager, which implies that it's probably not filtered. might've been centrifuged. Um, but it's, it's almost certainly not been passed through anything more than a, a rough filter. Um, but that's kind of an indie style thing. They like a little character up in that nice big white head and a decent carbonation, which I'm, uh, Yeah, I'm excited to stick my nose into it, as I always say. See, now the secret is I actually was drinking these about a week ago, but I very intentionally took about five days off so that they would seem a little unfamiliar. Um, But this has got a really nice cereal grainy, kind of crackery malt to it. Bit of a grassiness to the hop I'm going to go with. Pretty mild. This is made to be uh, like a a hot weather slugging kind of beer. Um, So we're not like writing essays about this. Um, Dan's (laughs) beer might, uh, might have a little bit more uh, nuance and complexity, but we'll, uh, we'll see, but. uh... Oh yeah. Yeah. So there's a more, um, uh, a more herbal kind of hop quality on the palate. Um, It's kind of green leafy uh, leaning towards maybe like green tea. Um, And it's really nicely bitter, not IPA bitter. It's not squeaky bitter, but it's got a really assertive clean hop to it, which I really like. Um, This, as it's designed to be, would be a fantastic beer to sit in the stands and drink 18 of or whatever. Um, (laughs) But this is this is a beautiful Again, simple lager, but super clean. Um, And of course, one of the things with a lager that I often bring up, you can't hide behind anything in a lager. So you got to do it right. Otherwise, it tastes like hell. Um, So that has been done absolutely right. Uh, I am a big fan of this beer. I actually, I noticed on their online shop, there's still some available. So I might be picking some more up because it is delightful. And then I also saw, before we get to your IPA, that uh, the one coming out this month is with Salter Street again. And uh, I think the last I'm not even going to get into it. We'll do that one down the line. Um, but uh, so there's more more coming down the pipe, as it were. So if you want to uh, take a sniff or look or whatever, however you want to tackle that IPA.
1: Yeah, for sure. I might need to for you to guide me here. I, I can't say I'm a connoisseur, but I obviously sort of know what I like. Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: what what this is I a regular beer like, off the start? <laughs> you've had this in, in the past, right? This is a regular beer for you uh not regular but i have had it yeah okay so uh, as i did first thing you always do take a look at it um partially because it's going to inform a little bit about what you're going to drink and also partially because um people drink with their eyes um and so um it's just part of the process (laughs) um in your case if you pull that back up to the camera there so that also looks it's hazy without being like opaque am i am i right about that
1: yeah yeah i think that's bang on
0: and sort of orangey red uh, there's a brown door behind you. So it might be color casting a little bit, but it looks kind of reddish Brown. Oh yeah. Okay. So it's on the red Brown side. I dig it. I dig it. Um, then then you're going to give it a sniff and, um, the big things that your nose is probably going to pick up on, especially in an IPA is going to be the hops. Um, so, uh, without knowing specifically with that one, if it's an IPA, the hops are going to tend to, um, Kind of one of three things you're going to be thinking about citrus uh, fruits, um, oranges or or the peel, especially Um, grapefruit, lemon, lime, that sort of stuff. Not so much lime Um, tropical, which is like citrus adjacent, um, but that's more like mango or pineapple or lychee, stuff like that. Um, Or uh, the kind of what we'd say is green, which can vary from evergreen or like pine through to um, like leafiness or herbaly kind of qualities through to weed um but you would not know anything about that being a professional athlete and probably being sanctioned under wada so uh you'd have to just ask your friends i guess um but those are sort of the three sides of of the hops that you'd be looking at so if you give it a sniff do any of those things kind of show up in in the aroma to you
1: yeah definitely like the hoppiness is is sort of smelling citrusy sort of smells orangey to be honest
0: Yeah, totally classic. I mean, some of those original West Coast IPAs were like jacked with, um, uh, why am I blanking here? Cascade hops and cascade hops are um, herbal, but quite citrusy and and specifically orangey or grapefruity. The other side of course, is uh, if there's malt characteristics, if it's a West Coast IPA, you you might get some, and those are gonna be things like either um, caramel or or sugar qualities, either brown sugar, burnt sugar, um, stuff like that, probably not burnt in that beer. and then uh also um things like like graininess so yeah like i've referred to mine as being like cereal grains so like kind of like that's kind of a generic term for just like sweet grain um something between like wheat and oats basically um so those are the other things and then once you've kind of set that expectation with your nose you'll take a sip and see what's similar and then also what's different because sometimes when it hits your palate, uh, rather than getting say a lot of the citrus pop, um, you might find that now you're getting more of like an astringent bitterness where you feel it more than you smell it because that's actually what most of your taste is. Um, and then similarly, you might find that you get a more pronounced malt uh, character on the tongue where what you're getting is sweetness. Um, so again, any of that, uh, ringing any bells on your tongue? Uh,
1: and I feel a little bit of my depth to repeat what you said the first time, but it, it obviously, it doesn't feel as sort of citrusy as the smell. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little bit more bitter. So I definitely, I definitely get that.
0: Totally. And then um, some of the ways you can start thinking about the bitterness is, um, is it a, an actual sensation? Like, are you feeling it on your cheeks and on your tongue? Even more so, is it getting like resinous or like it kind of squeaks on your teeth? Or sometimes there are flavors like lemon peel grapefruit that sort of stuff that trigger aromas that tell you bitter but you don't actually feel bitter and those are really kind of cool because those ipas are dangerous you can drink them all night
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think to be honest this might be in the dangerous category i don't feel too much sort of sensation sort of in my cheeks or anything yeah Um, yeah pretty smooth
0: yeah, yeah, totally. And so we talk about that as like perceived bitterness versus um, like physical bitterness. And so you're getting perceived bitterness without the actual weight. Um, one of my favorite, uh, kind of go-to IPAs in Toronto here is uh, bone shaker from Amsterdam. Oh I,
1: yeah. Yeah. I yeah.
0: Um, it has a lot of physical bitterness. And if I have, you know, four or five of those on a night, when I wake up in the morning, my mouth just feels like I lacquered it. Like it's just, <laughs> just squeaky and thick and sticky. It's just wild. Um, but, uh, but that sounds, that sounds delightful. And then the last thing to think about, um, well, two things, One thing that you think about kind of throughout is the mouthfeel, the weight of it. Um, IPAs tend to be still on the lighter side of the body, um, but can have quite a creamy or smooth kind of feel to them. And then the other thing is the finish. Um, Do you get a lingering hop quality? Is it very clean? Does it just go away? I didn't say it, but this is a very clean beer as you'd expect with a lager. There's virtually no aftertaste.
1: Yeah, I'd say this one, it feels light and it finishes clean. It doesn't hang there like I've had in other IPAs that are a little bit hoppier. Yeah. Like there's a bit of hops, but it's not, you know, there's not that overpowering sensation as I've had uh, in other beers.
0: What's the alcohol content on that one? 6.5. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. So it's up there. Um, what I ask that not so much because I like to party, but because uh, <laughs> as you add alcohol to the beer that requires more malt, because... Um, Um, The alcohol is produced when the yeast consumes sugars from the malt. And so if you want to have more alcohol, you have to have more malt sugar available. Um, But the offset there is there's unfermentable sugars that get left behind. And so the more you use, the more of those get left behind means the more hops you have to add, because the hops at heart are actually just a a bittering agent to offset the sweetness of the malt to try and find balance. IPAs obviously lean heavily onto the bitter side of things. but uh, when you have a higher alcohol IPA that still doesn't have a lot of perceived or um, physical bitterness, it just has a lot of perceived bitterness. Um, that's that, that's something that's um, not easy to do is what it comes down to. And it's a, it's a good indication of a of, you know, good quality beer. So.
1: Okay. Nice. Well, yeah, for Fernie Brewing Company, they've been around a while and my family's been coming out here. Uh, you know, I spent eight or nine years growing up in Calgary. Uh, this is one of our sort of favorite parts of the world. We've been coming out here for a long time, but I think their beers in the last, five or six years have really kicked on. Um, you know, I'd say all their beers right now are pretty amazing. Um, and they, it's also kind of cool, like the sort of crowd uh, that they try to appeal to. Like out here, I mean, it's like a little ski town, a little bike town in the summer. And so they do cool things where um, if you actually bike three of the peaks in the surrounding area in the same day and take pictures, um, you know, at the top of, or like the trailhead where there's a sign they'll actually give you a free pint if you bike into ah, the, uh, cool. the brewery that's just on the outside of town. So, um, I think they're a beer that sort of, you know, markets for that sort of outdoor adventure lifestyle, but also lives it. So that's pretty sweet.
0: That's awesome. That's a really cool day, uh, thing. Um, we, um, went out West oh, three years ago, uh, to visit family. So we flew into Regina, uh, visited family, rented a car, drove through to uh, Victoria and visited a friend on the way through in Canmore. And, uh, Uh, I'm trying to, it might've just been called Canmore Brewing, Um, but we were hanging out uh, at the brewery and I was thinking, I was like, this is so ripe, ripe for something like that. Like some sort of engagement that you could do. And my buddy, Tim, who we're visiting, um, he actually instructs Nordic skiing there. And uh, I was like, dude, you need to like partner with these guys and do something like uh, something Nordic ski, like, like, that'd be amazing. I don't know what, like, either, either something where that's like a package that you take with you while you're skiing, or like, that's a cool idea, like a challenge, like, oh yeah, if you can bring up your, you know, Strava and show us that, you know, you did the crazy super loop or whatever. Yeah. You get, you know, free basket of wings with your beer or something. I just, I think it's good when breweries can like, obviously when you're in an area like that, it's a bit easier because you kind of know your audience. Um, But if you can kind of carve out a, a, a niche like that, that's pretty cool. Um, so you're in Fernie or near Fernie. uh, I take it. Fernie is like just over the border, right? Between Alberta and BC.
1: Yeah, that's, that's right. Just over.
0: Yeah. Like almost kind of on the border, right?
1: Pretty much. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, that's super cool. And you're out there now to hang out. Are you working at all or?
1: Yeah, I mean in this day and age of, of remote work, I'm I'm working remotely for a for a company. You know, I sort of decided to retire and kick on to the next phase of life. Um the work I'm doing is all sort of computer based, so I can kind of work from wherever. And so I thought it'd be uh you know pretty good to sort of work hard Monday to Friday and then uh you know chase some turns on the weekend. So um yeah, I've been been very lucky just trying to ski as much as, as I can. That was sort of one of my passions before I started playing rugby, but I really haven't uh, skied much for like five years because of injury risk or because I had a broken shoulder at one point. So it was either being injured or the fear of, be- of, of, it, of being injured and, and missing out on opportunities. So, um, it's kind of nice in retirement to get back into some of these sports that I hadn't done in a while.
0: That's super cool. Um, and so you ski, I was going to say the next question, ski or snowboard, but, uh, you can be forgiven. It's okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think actually, you know, I think my parents might boot me out of the house if I snowboard, but, uh, we're a skiing family. It's actually, it's interesting. I think, you know, out West in particular, I I haven't really skied much in, in Ontario or or been to many of the Hills, but, um, you know, depending on the the style of the Hill, like in Fernie, there's tons of traversing. And so, uh, you end up getting a much bigger proportion of skiers than you do snowboarders because it's a tough day out. If you're trying to get to the, you know, some of the best terrain, whereas other places like a kicking horse, let's say, um, yeah, at the top of the left, you might be standing on top of, you know, some really gnarly chutes or some really, really interesting terrain. So there's no point in traversing in in some of those places.
0: Yeah, totally. That's, that's funny. I know, um, I used to rejoice. We would go to, uh, uh, Vermont to like stow at, uh, at March break a couple years in a row. And, uh, obviously on a much smaller scale, but a similar idea where, you know, there's like a bowl on the backside and like the main face and there's like, Also, you could go to Smugs, which is like on the other side of the mountain. And so, yeah, there would be opportunities to do some traversing. Um, And, uh, you know, you would see people who could skate well, and they're fine. But you would also see people who couldn't skate well, and they'd be like, slogging with their poles and we would just take our (laughs) boards off and walk and like you'd be walking past them and be like have a nice day (laughs) and i would just be like i'm such a little brat with my board on (laughs) but uh, i actually haven't been to a mountain in years my our kids were getting into it um but then obviously this year with covid not happening last year the weather the conditions weren't great and we we just didn't get out much i think i took them out maybe once um, but what makes me heartbreaking is they really want to. Like they're like, can we go back snowboarding again? And I'm like, okay, hey guys, okay, okay. Well <laughs> daddy will get his act together, I promise. Yeah. Uh, I think there's something
1: I think there's something amazing about the mountains, like you just, you know, just the size of them and the scale of them and really the sort of power and awe of them. Uh you can't help but feel insignificant, but also those sort of stresses in life feel insignificant. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about those emails, whatever is sort of bothering you. It all kind of melts away, at least for me when I find when I'm out in the mountains. So, uh, one of my favorite parts of the world for sure.
0: Yeah. It's funny of the guy, Tim, that we were visiting, um, we were talking, so we'd met up with him. We'd driven from Regina to Canmore in the day. Um, and then, uh, so we got in and it was dark and, uh, I actually might've told Georgia the story a couple of weeks ago, but screw it. I'm telling it again. Um, and so we were hanging out, we're at the brewery and, you know, you can see you're in the mountains, but like, it's dark. And so the next morning we woke up in our hotel and, uh, my wife was like, Oh, you need to, you need to look out the window. And I was like, Oh, is it ridiculous? She's like, it's, it's more than that. And it's like our window opened and it was like the parking lot for the hotel. And then, probably a 1200 foot vertical climb right behind it of right. just trees and the tree line and snow. And I was like, it's like a postcard out there. And so I was talking to Tim and I was like, dude, cause he's from, uh, well, he was originally from Scarborough like me, but he's, he grew up most of his life in Pickering. And I was like, does it just kind of blow your mind constantly when you're outside? And he's like, the worry is that it's easy to forget when you're out all the time and again like he teaches nordic skiing so he's in the mountain like all the time and he's like i try and be really intentional every morning to stop at the front door and be like holy crap (laughs) like this is ridiculous (laughs) because like you say it's like it's it's so big and it makes you like so insignificant right yeah yeah Yeah. No,
1: it's just incredible. I think everything that comes with the mountain as well, just the different kind of adventures you can have. I mean, out here in the winter, you know, skiing, snowshoeing, cross country, like there's just a a pile of things um, that you can do in the summer. You know, some people would sort of argue there's even more to do. So um, yeah, really special part of the world.
0: Dude, the fishing, you got to get some fly fishing going up in there.
1: Yeah, there's some amazing, some of the best uh, cutthroat uh, trout fishing is just here through the Elk River. Um, just down in the Valley. So it's, uh, sort of a pastime that me and my dad have, haven't done for a while, to be honest, but, uh, did when I was younger and loved it.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so speaking of, of things that you've done a little bit more recently and, uh, It's funny, I often reference in in the podcast um, how I'm fairly one-dimensional. Like I talk about beer or I talk about rugby and sometimes I talk about fishing and that's about it. Like that's that's the extent of my interests. Um, So (laughs) recently retired, but what I could only describe as an illustrious career, I didn't look today because I thought it would be more organic if I just talked it out of you. Um, But I know a while back I was trying to figure out I think I was looking up the spelling of your name, actually. I think it was when we were doing those instructional videos for the club. And I was like, is there an E? I can't remember. And I looked it up and I was like, <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, Dan got around. All right. But so uh, t- talk to me about how you came to be a professional rugby player and then what that looked like, uh, like where you went, you know, how- however you want to take it. I know you you came through Balmy, so we got you there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So my age grade, I, I started playing rugby with Balmy Beach in Toronto. Phenomenal club. Um, you know, I think all sort of grassroots rugby is really standing on the shoulders of some amazing volunteers and whether it's coaches or administrators and and that was my experience at Balmy Beach, uh, got my start down there with some amazing coaches, really exposed me to the game. I was I was you know sort of multidimensional athlete when I was growing up, which actually I think helps in your development, but um wasn't that focused on rugby and then before university just sort of fell in love with it and uh, you know, went hard at university, went to Queens, played there, had an opportunity to represent Ontario um, and through playing for the province, you know, made it onto the national team, moved out west and, and was sort of a professional national team athlete for, for a year in, in Victoria. And then I went uh, overseas to, to study some books at a place that has a really good rugby program um, and was lucky enough to be in the shop window for, for some pro clubs over there. So I played a bit of, bit of professional rugby in the UK and then, um, you know, an opportunity came came up to, to move back to Toronto when the Toronto Arrows got started by Bill Webb in Toronto in my hometown. I thought it'd be a really special experience to play in front of friends and family. So uh, when the opportunity came up and, you know, I could help be part of something, building building something, the first sort of professional team in Canada just jumped at the opportunity.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um- now you are were are I, I don't know how you want to call it a winger. So you're fast. Were you uh did you prefer eleven or fourteen? What number did you like?
1: I didn't I not really mind, to be honest. I just wanted to get a jersey to be on the field. I, I didn't really care what the number was, but um uh yeah, I mean it's it's funny, you know, wingers are supposed to be fast, but um, you know, you're never fast enough for some coaches and then uh, you know, you see some guys who don't actually maybe have that much speed, but the way they read the game and anticipate how plays happen, they make up for that half step or that step that they, they might not have. So uh, amazing position. Um, yeah. i loved it.
0: That's funny. When I, so most of my rugby that I played was high school. Um, and when I was very young, like Bantam level, it might as well have been like U8, right? <laughs> it was like, you're going to be in that position, but we know you won't be there long. Like, the ball's going to be over there. You're all going over there, you know, uh, <laughs> but by the time we kind of started figuring things out, um, initially I was in the pack. I, they had me at hook, but, uh, the backs were legitimately so slow that even though I'm not particularly fast, I ended up getting moved. So I actually played at wing for like a season and a half, um, which is ridiculous because I have like the tiniest thumpy little legs and like, I'm totally bottom heavy. Like, I'm not a runner by <laughs> Um, But I just liked, I liked Wing because it was very exciting, right? Uh, it wasn't like, I, I subsequently ended up playing um, some center work and then I ended up moving up to Flank. Flank's fun because you just constantly are in the mix. But Wing was fun because you get so many opportunities to like make your game, right? And uh, it's all about, yeah, reading, getting a good quick step, uh, and and just I mean you need to know where to be obviously, but it would be like it was just thrilling. <laughs> like yeah. I, I I probably had more glory playing wing than anything else. That even season though I was more a slow than the
1: cumulative wing. in total. <laughs> yeah, no, it's an amazing position, particularly um, you know, sort of my experience the last couple of years of my career. Uh, you know, you're mm-hmm. kind of just a rover, like particularly you see more and more in professional rugby that they want the wingers to try and, you know, poke and find gaps around the breakdown, really coming off their wing and, and finding work. Um, so it's a great position that way, you know, really a lot of teams, if they're accelerating at a high level, they, they want their wingers to be touching the ball, uh, you know, over over 25 times a game or, or 25 involvement, sort of maybe 10 to 15 touches of the ball. And so, um, you know, for a guy like myself, I would sort of love that and, and love those opportunities.
0: Yeah, I recall going to the inaugural game at York, uh, which uh, we went up, me and Ben went up, and uh, it was a bit of a bummer, A, because York is really far away, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, But uh, I was on crutches still from the previous broken ankle I had, and uh, so we were late getting into the game, and as we were we were on the, I guess it's the South side of the field coming towards the gates to get in, you know, the cheer went up, people were screaming and I looked and grabbed Ben and kind of lifted him up a little bit and like peeking through the fence. And I was like, Oh, somebody just scored a try and it's us. And I think we were down. Like, I think it was, they maybe had a try and a penalty or something. Um, but it was you. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's the guy. He came through bombing. me. I had never met you yet at that point. Um, but, uh, I was like, Ben, that's one of our guys. That's one of our guys. And so we're outside like partying down and cheering and just like, Oh, this is the best thing ever. Um, I was going somewhere with that story and it wasn't about being wing. Oh, it was about, uh, uh, the involvement. So we had, it, um, bought uh, season's tickets for this past season, um, which obviously didn't happen. Um, they've been, they've been moved forward, our season's tickets. Uh, but, uh, for, for people, I say this all the time, but for people who might be eh, up in the air, uh, sell, uh, sell the arrows, go ahead, take, uh, take a couple of minutes and just tell them why I shouldn't be the only one right now with uh season's tickets.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I think one thing is, you know, our squad, uh, you know, professional team, but you're really supporting sort of uh, Canadian athletes like our team right now. Um, yeah, but there's a there's a bit of foreign influence, but, you know, we're mostly Canadian, homegrown. And, and even furthermore, a lot of our guys are actually from the local community. So they're like me. They came from Balmy Beach or they came from Toronto Scottish or they came from one of the other clubs uh, that's in the area. And, and you know, those guys guys go back into those communities and help out coaching at the grassroots level a lot of the time i think it was a really nice way to to grow the game or, or by supporting the areas of really growing the game in in toronto i, I think that's one key part i think to our, our team the squad that we've had is is phenomenal um you know we've really put together a really nice brand of rugby um you know unfortunately got knocked out in the semis in our first year and then last year you know we were top of the eastern conference when unfortunately covid Uh, canceled our season but you know the squad that they have coming back is is fully loaded and uh you know i'm hoping or i'm excited to to watch them hoist a championship at the end of the season and i think third is just entertainment value um the brand of rugby that we're playing is expansive it's skillful it's quick we're definitely not the biggest team um you know if you looked at the the pre-game report or whatever that's showing the size we're not the biggest team but um you know, that skill and that speed kills and and i think it creates you know an exciting brand of rugby for fans um and i also think the games you know particularly you mentioned the, the games at york but there's you know also games down at lamport stadium in liberty village you know fantastic vibe great atmosphere um and it's still you're really attached to the culture of rugby so you know post-match all the players uh, on both teams actually pile in Um, to our aftermatch partner you know all the fans pile into that place as well and and you know we have a meal and break bread with the other team which is sort of standard part of rugby culture after you know battering each other for 80 minutes but then after that we'll go have a beer with with our supporters and I think um, there's a really nice community a really nice vibe that's getting built around you know our team those match day experiences so uh, I guess you know sort of in conclusion, you know, come out and experience it for yourself. Uh, you know, I can only sell it so well, but I think if you actually come out and, and come out to a game, uh, you know, you'll quickly know what it's all about.
0: I'd also add in, uh, and it, you know, it's not too, um, it's it's not in a bad way, it's it's a fantastic way, but the value is incredible. Um, like, I don't want to say it's cheap. It's not cheap. And also it's not cheap figuratively. Um, it's, it's a very well put together day of sport, but uh, the value is amazing. Like to get, you could take a family of four, uh to the match get some drinks get some food and you're st- and park and you're still out for under 100 bucks which you can't do that with other <laughs> professional sports in the city like i think even the rock now you're going to be looking at like you know steeper ticket prices and again who knows after covid uh, up in the air yeah. um, and 100 bucks but, might be
1: a quarter of a of a you know a Leafs or a raptor seat these yeah days i during, think you uh, can buy
0: a program at a leaf <laughs> around that um yeah. But uh, one of the things that actually I I really appreciated, so we'd we'd gotten um, Wolfpack tickets in their inaugural season um, and had followed them until their demise, unfortunately, um, and had been very impressed for more or less the same um, reasons. You know, good quality um, uh, game being played, uh, fantastic atmosphere. And, and good value uh, on, on the dollar. But one of the things um, that really surprised me was the access to the players. So after the game, a little bit different um, the way they managed it at, at Lamport, and actually probably you guys would be in the same boat because you don't really have field access so much at Lamport. Um, but, uh, you know, they would come around and shake hands and, like, take photos, and, like, they would spend 40, 45 minutes after the match just doing a lap of the stadium to talk to anybody who wanted. In fact, um, the, the first year, their inaugural year, uh, they won, I don't know, a plate or something. And uh, at the time they had, do you remember Fui Fooey, Fooey Moimoy? He's a big Islander. He played for um, Parramatta Eels in Australia and okay. massive. And then he came to do his like retirement run uh, at at Wolfpack and then got sent home. It's a long story, but uh, he, <laughs> was, he was there for the first season and uh, he came around and he had the plate and we we're like, Fui, can we take a photo? And so he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And he like reached out to get my camera. Cause that was the other thing is they'd all do the selfie for you, which was fantastic. But when he reached out to get my camera, he handed me the plate. And so we have a photo of me and my buddy, Sam and Ben, holding the plate together with Fooey in the front, taking the photo. And I'm like, what on earth, what what sport do you participate in where that happens? And then, yeah, when we started doing the arrows and like, especially at York, it's like fans at the end of the game, fans, uh, if you'd like to go meet uh, your Toronto arrows, uh, please make your way onto the field. And I'm like, what? You can't yeah. make your way onto the field at a professional sporting game. You, you get tackled. That's the whole point. But yeah, like walk in, talk, hang out, shake hands. Yeah, no, no. And
1: I mean, the kids love it as well. You know, I don't think any player on our team would claim to have the same sort of profile that like an Austin Matthews would, but you know, to, to someone who's, you know, 3, 4, 5, 10, 12, or they're just into rugby. Um, you know, maybe the experience for those those kids is is you know partially similar or fully similar. So I think it's an amazing experience. That way. And a lot of our guys, you know, uh, like sort of sounds like you experienced at the Wolfpack, great ambassadors. You know, they want to be out there uh, chatting with the fans. We talk about that as our responsibility as players to grow the game. Um, and you know, we can't you know, rest on laurels or anything. We all have to be great ambassadors, going out trying to grow the the grassroots and obviously trying to create special experiences for for young fans on game days.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it is fantastic. So uh, I've said it before. I'll keep saying it. You're saying it. Like if you're listening to this, watching this, however you're consuming it, if, if you know, once, once we've all got the jab in the arm and we can do things again, uh, like check it out. It is, it is an unparalleled experience. Uh, And the best part is, I mean, Sure, it helps if you at least have some idea how rugby functions, but you don't really need to know that much. It's a kind of logical game. Guys are moving balls that way or that way, and if you're cheering for the guys going that way, when they're going that way, you cheer, and when they're going that way, you don't. Like, it's pretty simple to figure out, Um, and, and, you know... it's yeah it's, i mean it's, it's easy game to get into <laughs> it's a fast game
1: it's skillful it's really physical i think it's got a bit for everything you know those guys running around in short shorts there's beer in the stands like it's it's got a little bit for everybody on game day so yeah um, yeah i think it's a great experience that way
0: yeah it's it is it's fantastic um we're at about 40 i think about 35 minutes but uh, we can start uh, the wind down if you like um how's retirement treating you now was it hard do you have trouble not suiting up for practice and stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, to be honest with you, it's, uh, it was really tough um, because I think as an athlete, so much of your identity is actually tied to your sport. And, and you know, so for, the, so for the sort of 10 years before I retired, what was really driving me out of bed every day was, you know, a dream to represent Canada at the World Cup, to play professional rugby. And, and when that, um, you know, isn't there anymore, I think it takes a little while to figure out who you are without that. Um, but I've actually really enjoyed the experience. You know, I sort of mentioned earlier, like I've had an opportunity to try a whole bunch of sports that I wouldn't do before because they violated a contract or there was injury risk or whatever. So kind of getting back into that has been awesome. Um, and also just trying to figure out who I am with, without rugby. Um, it was an amazing experience for me, like, you know, couldn't ask for more. I, I was, I was very lucky with how things panned out and I walked away with, um, you know one bad shoulder and one knee that bugs me a little bit but to have played at the the level i did and the amount I did uh really lucky on the grand scheme of things and and now um, you know someone once told me you should always live your life with your best days ahead of you and, and that's the approach I'm taking so I'm sort of excited for for what's next and, and figuring out what's going to make up those days
0: that's great man um you're at west you know do you have a return date are you coming back for summer are you gonna stay through you think yeah I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's like what everybody's experiencing
1: these days. Life is pretty fluid. Everything's kind of changing, whether it's you know, government restrictions or, or whatever it may be. So I'm um, you know, trying to just enjoy the moment and, and see how things uh, pan out and, and you know, try to do it in a safe and, and healthy
0: way. He didn't ask me to do this, but uh, Coach Chris had just sent out today, Coach, Coach Chris K, that uh, we're setting up for our winter uh, academy at Balmy, and I'm already starting to think through to summer, and so I'm just, you know, I need to know where you're going to be at if we're going to tap you for uh, Monday and Wednesday nights at, uh, at Tubbs & G.
1: <laughs> no, for sure, man. I, I'm, You know, to be honest, one thing I do want to do is is uh, is give back to the game that's that's given me a lot. So, um, you know, particularly, I think you saw me around a little bit last last winter, but would love to get back into – you know, the age grades was coming out to some of the 18s and 19s Balmy Beach stuff last year and, and sort of chomping at the bit to to get involved in a, a coaching capacity.
0: Well, you got to come out to the senior men's too, just for a bit of a knock around on uh, on a on a Thursday night, you know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Sweet. Well, dude, I'll, I'll let you go. I've super appreciated this. Uh, let's talk really quick. Remind us, who are you drinking? Mm-hmm. Fernie Brewery, was it?
1: Yeah, Fernie Brewing Co. I'm drinking the uh, the Lone Wolf IPA.
0: Fantastic. And they're obviously in Fernie. People can look them up. I'm sure they're not going to be hard to find. I'm uh, just finished. Actually my, uh, my line out logger uh, you say it was called the game day series. Match Day Series. Match Day Series. Match Day Series. It probably says that on the label. I just, yeah, right there. <laughs> Toronto Arrows Match Day Series. Um, so these are great. Salter did the last one. They've got the next one coming down. I've got a couple of breweries. And uh, for people listening, you'll be able to guess which ones. Uh, that I'm already kind of giving them quiet nudges in the background, being like, hey, if you need to talk to the Arrows about making one of these beers happen, I can connect you. I know people. Um, so uh, hopefully we'll see a bunch of these coming down. Because, I mean, in addition to, as you say, supporting the, the program, and supporting grassroots rugby. They're decent beers. And uh, for sure, you know, I'll take it. I will take it. Um, So ladies and gentlemen, Dan Moore, uh, recently retired, youngest retiree I've ever talked to. uh, So that's got to feel good
1: and uh, <laughs> i know i good. should be wearing white pants and playing shuffleboard in florida exactly yeah. man
0: uh, you need a panama hat and a <laughs> pencil mustache maybe you should work on the pencil mustache i'd like that uh but yeah thank you thank you for hanging out obviously stay on a minute because once i shut everything down i'll actually say goodbye to you nicely um next week i don't know what we got on uh, I haven't made any plans. Um, so I'll figure it out. Uh, maybe more hot sauce. I've been eating hot sauce recently Dan, uh, on the, on the show. Um, and it's been charming. Um, so we'll figure that out. But uh, same deal as always Monday, a little after nine, I'll roll in probably be solo because again, coordinating two people in three weeks. That's I'm exhausted. I need a nap, um, but uh, we'll be back and uh, look up the arrows. Uh, obviously when schedules get posted, um, I think the schedule's out, but I don't know about tickets, ticketing yet, Um, but keep an eye out. Fantastic value. And, uh, and yeah, if you're interested in rugby, even just in general, um, I mean, a slide them my DMS, I'll help you out, but uh, there's definitely, if you are listening to this podcast in Ontario, I can guarantee you there is a rugby club within driving distance of, of where you are. Uh, And so we can get you connected. So that's where we're at, Dan. Thank you. You have a good night.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Enjoyed it.
0: Awesome, buddy, and we will—I uh, will talk at you guys in, uh, you know, about uh, about a week.